If you have a Bible today, let's turn to Acts chapter 13. Y'all enjoying this weather? Amen. Praise the Lord. Anybody had a fire in the fireplace already or in your fire pit? I see a few hands. All right, all right. Good deal, good deal. It sure is nice. You know, two of the most important things in your life that you get to determine how you're going to invest those things are your time and your money, right? Those are, those are two of just the most precious resources that God entrusts every single one of us with. And I think we all want to feel like I'm investing my time well. We might not say that we are, but we want to say that we are. Same thing with our money. We, we want to be able to say, I, I believe that I'm investing, you know, the financial gifts that the Lord puts into my hands. I, I'm, I believe I'm using that. I'm investing that well and with wisdom. Now think about this. Some of you who have been faithful churchgoers for a long time, 40, 50 years or more. I had this, by the way, I had this thought this week. I sent it to our staff. I was just thinking Friday. I have more time to sit and think these days, it seems. And the thought occurred to me Friday that there are people in this room right now who lived at the same time as some veterans of the Civil War lived, that their lives overlapped like that, right? I'm not going to call names out today, the people who probably had that experience. And at the same time, we're at church today, and, you know, my little nephew Miller's over here in worship today, and, you know, with lifespans, what they are these days, he may live to be 100 years old. And we're sitting in a room right now, think about that, right? We're sitting in a room right now with some people whose lives overlapped with Civil War veterans, and Civil War seems like ancient history, but it's really not. And we're sitting in a room with people who are still going to be here 100 years from now, and that's one of the things I love about our church family is we have this tremendous opportunity to learn so much from those who have come before us, who've experienced so much in life, right? And at the same time, we have an opportunity to lead well all these who are coming behind us. Think about that, just the span of time that we're able to touch and have touched and are touching uh, if the Lord doesn't come soon. And I'm, I, don't think Miller's gonna, I don't think Miller's got 100 years. I think we're just all going to get caught up out of here together pretty soon. And how are we using that time? And how are we using those finances, our money? It's so important. So those of you that have been following Jesus for a long time and you've been faithful in the church for a long, long time, think about that. Let's say 50 years you've been following Jesus. 50 years you've been faithful to a, a local church. And at, at, at a bare minimum, you've probably engaged in the life of that church for, for two hours a week. Right? Let's just say. And, and I know that for most of y'all, it's far more hours than that on average per week. Well, that's 104 hours then a year. And you multiply that over 50 years, and that comes to a total of 216 total days, 24-hour days. 216 of those that across those 50 years, you were just for two hours a week engaged in a local church like that. That's crazy to think about. I know those those. It's way more than that for most of you. I know that. But I don't know if some of you older folks have just sat and thought about all the time that you've invested, right, in God's purposes just among a church family. Or think about this. You've been giving to the Lord faithfully. You've been tithing for 50 years. And let's just say that your average income over across those 50 years was, 
was just $20,000 annually. And so you, you faithfully gave just the tithe, not even the offerings on top of that, not the missions offering, not the love offering, just, just the tithe for those 50 years. That's $100,000 that across those years that God allowed you to invest into his purposes and into his kingdom. Can you just get excited about that and imagine if you start thinking about the total amount of hours and time that God in his grace has allowed you to invest. And then can you just begin to imagine how God in his goodness and grace has compounded that investment through the years and throughout the world. Now, I, I, I'm not saying that so we all kind of go, oh, I feel really good about myself today and really proud of what I've done. No, I'm just, because I just want us to get excited to think about what happens when we release what God has entrusted to us into, into his kingdom, right? And into his hands and into his economy and for his purposes and for his glory. Some of you are younger in this room and the second audience today is on average a little younger than this one. So it'll be especially true for them. But some of you are just beginning really to follow the Lord and your engagement in a local church really has just sort of started out. Can you just think about that? The opportunity that you've got in front of you, that if you commit to a local church family to serve in the Lord like that, the hundreds of thousands of hours that you're going to be able to invest into God's kingdom. You know, I look at these children that are up here and think about what God's doing in their life now and what he's going to do for so many years to come. And you think about financially the impact that God's going to have through you as you learn to be faithful to give to the Lord as he impresses it on your heart to give. You're going to be able to give hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars into the kingdom of God, perhaps millions into God's kingdom over the next 50, 60, 70, 80 years. This really kind of blew my mind when I just started thinking about just in, in the time that Shannon and I have been married and the way the Lord's blessed us to be able to, to give financially to his church. Um, just, just average, normal giving like other faithful believers in the house here today. But when I started doing the math, it was really pretty stunning to think, wow, I haven't even really realized that God in his grace and mercy had allowed us to give all of that and so much more. And that's pretty exciting and stunning to think about. Those of you that are younger, you're going to have an opportunity to, to give more. Not more in terms of faithfulness, but more in terms of amount. When it comes to God's economy, faithfulness is all that he's concerned about, right? He is just as honored and pleased and glorified with the widow who gave a penny as he is a millionaire who gave a million, right? That's just how it works in God's purposes. So no matter um, how much you give or... How little you have to give, you should never think, well, the time, the money that I have, it's just not a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. It's the most important investment, I think, that God's going to put into your life, that you have an opportunity to turn around and give back to God. And it's stunning to think about what he can do with that. Now, let me tell you why my family, why we're investing our time and we're investing uh, our financial resources uh, in God's kingdom through grace life and been doing it for a while now. I believe with all my heart that this church is destined to impact the world for Jesus Christ. I believe that with all my heart. 
I, I, I would not have... I've already given you the best years of my life. Just heads up. The, <laughs> we're already kind of cre- we've already come over the crest now, right? So, um, and we, we just believe that. And I look around the room, people that have given so much of yourselves for so long to the cause of Christ in this fellowship. And I have to believe that you did, you didn't do that just to tap your toe and mark time, but there's something in you that says I really believe that. I'm investing in something that's bigger than me and bigger than us. And that's something that God's going to do here to impact the entire world for his glory. You know, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about children and, and our high school students, for example, uh, is because I just believe there's world changers in our midst. I believe that. I believe that. I'm so excited about Generation Z and what God's doing in them, what God's going to do through them. I know some of you are just sort of ready to throw in the towel on the world. That Don't do that yet, man. I think God's raising up some world changers for his kingdom and for his glory. I believe that with all of my heart. So I don't know about you, but I want the rest of my days, however many that may be, I want to invest them in a local church that is or at least has the potential to impact the world for the cause of Christ, with the gospel, for the glory of God. And the fact is, across all these years here at Love This Park, Grace Life, God's done great things. And He's doing great things. But I don't believe we've really even gotten started yet with all that it is that, that God desires to do and to accomplish. You know, So if, if we only had a blueprint today for, okay, this is what a church that changes the world, this is what it looks like. You know, If we could just have a picture... Of what does a local church look like? What does it look like in a local church that literally changes the world? That'd be nice. Well, the good news is we have a picture of that. It's in Acts chapter 13 today, and I hope you've already opened your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 13. And we're only going to look at the first three verses today. Now, don't get excited. That doesn't mean you're getting out of here early. It just means we're slowing our pace down a little bit to drop down into these three verses because I think in these three verses there's some clues here about what a local church that changes the world for Jesus Christ what that really looks like the church in Acts chapter 13 is the church at Antioch I introduced Antioch a couple of weeks ago at this point it's the third largest city in the world behind Rome Alexandria and then Antioch it's a big place it's at the main intersection of the crossroads of the Roman Empire It's a morally bankrupt city. I told you just how massive this garden of worship was that they had, where they had all kinds of prostitutes and all types of immorality that happened. Their worship was just awful and uh, morally bankrupt. It's a dark, vile, spiritually wicked sort of place. And you may remember from a few weeks ago that the gospel had made it all the way to Antioch. And God in his mercy and grace began to bring people out of darkness into his marvelous light. And word of that got back to the apostles in Jerusalem, right? And they're kind of thinking, no way. There is no way in a city like Antioch, as wicked and vile and messed up and ginormous as that place is, that there are people there that are being converted to Christ, who are becoming totally devoted followers of Jesus. And so they sent a very trustworthy person to go to Antioch to check that out. You remember who they sent? Barnabas. That's right. 
So old Barney, he travels up to Antioch, and his jaw just hits the ground. He is stunned. It's really happening. God's really on the move here in this place, and he is blown away by what God is doing. And he knows, I'm going to need some help trying to help this group of people out. And so he remembers a friend that he met named Saul. Saul, you might remember, was leading the charge to persecute and remove the church from the face of the earth. And one day, in the middle of the day, he's on his way to another city called Damascus to arrest and persecute more believers. And he met Jesus Christ at high noon. And he was radically saved and transformed on that day. People began to try to kill him. So he had to run back home to Tarsus where he's been hanging out and growing in the Lord. So Barnabas needs help and he's going to go get Saul. So he goes to Tarsus and he gets Saul and he says, hey, come down here to Antioch and I want you to help me out. And so they begin to do that. You may remember from last week or week before that maybe now. Um, while they're there in Antioch, they get word that a famine is going to come to the Roman Empire, and they take up a love offering at this new little church in Antioch, and uh, they want to help the church in Jerusalem. They don't have, they're not as wealthy there in Jerusalem as the church in Antioch. They don't have those kind of resources. So this new little church in Antioch, they take up a love offering, and they take Barnabas and Saul, and they send them to Jerusalem to deliver it down there. And they do that, and then when they come back to Antioch, they bring a young man back with them by the name of John Mark. And spoiler alert, this young guy that's going to hang out with them for a little while named John Mark, he's the Mark who's going to write a book of your Bible called The Gospel According to Mark, and he's going to be hanging out with Barnabas and Saul. Another spoiler alert, Saul, a.k.a. Paul, who's going to write 13, if not perhaps even 14 books of our New Testament. So that's pretty crazy to think about. So we get to chapter 13, and Barnabas and Saul and John Mark are back now at this big city of Antioch, and they are a part of that church in that city. And this church is why you and I are here today. This church changed the world, and it's still changing the world today. And so we want to see that. What was it about this church that positioned it to be a kind of church that changed the world? And what does that say about who we are and what God's doing here? So chapter 13, verse 1. I'm already running out of time. How did that happen? What time do we get out of here? What time are we supposed to get out of here? Nobody knows. What time does the next service start? 11? We forget. In staff meetings, we look around at each other sometimes these days and go, what time does church start? Because the schedule has changed so much over the last 20 months. So I think uh, we'll get you out of here by 1 or 2 o'clock. Um, <laughs> chapter 13, verse 1, among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria. So watch this. Here's the leaders, right, of this church in Antioch. It's Barnabas. And Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manaen, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and they sent them on their way. They laid hands on these men and they sent them out of Antioch to take the gospel all over the world. So we're only going to look at these three verses today, but I think they say a lot. And they drop some good clues on us about what is the kind of church that has an impact on the whole world for the cause of Christ. Here's the first thing I would say. The kind of church that God uses to change the world, number one, is a church with different kinds of people. I love that. Aren't you glad everybody here is not like you? Sometimes you want everybody to be here like you, but I'm sure glad everybody that's here is not like you. I'm sure glad that everybody here is not like me. The person in this church that gives me the most trouble is me. So I'm glad y'all aren't like me. I'm glad we're all different. I want you to see Antioch as a different kind of church with different kinds of people. Antioch was a cosmopolitan city. In the crossroads of the Roman Empire, all kinds of people lived there. 
And the church at Antioch reflected that. Here we see just the five men, just five of the men who were leaders in this church. And I want you to see how different these men are from each other. First of all, there's Barnabas. He's mentioned. Barnabas is a Jewish guy from an island. He's an islander, you know. He's a Jew with a little hat and flip-flops. That's him. And he's of the tribe of the Levites, which means he's of the priestly tribe. And that's who Barnabas is. And that's pretty unique, really, when you think about that. A Jewish islander guy of the priest of Levi, of the priestly tribe of Levi. And then there's Simeon. The Bible says here that he had a nickname. Antioch was kind of famous for giving people nicknames. I'm kind of famous for giving people nicknames. I've given a lot of y'all nicknames. Some of you know what your nicknames are. Some of you never will. <laughs> well, Simeon had a nickname. He was called the Black Man. Now, the evidence isn't conclusive, but I lean toward believing this is the same Simeon or Simon that you may remember helped Jesus carry his cross. Do you remember that? The gospel writer who tells us the most about that person who helped Jesus carry his cross, guess which gospel writer it was? Mark. And who's at Antioch with this group of people? Mark. He's there at Antioch with this people. In fact, Mark gives us this detail about the man that helped Jesus carry his cross. He tells us that he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And years later, toward the end of the book of Romans, Paul is near the end of his life. And he says at the end of that book, he says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who's been a mother to me as well. And so Mark seems to know a lot about this guy named Simeon, the black man. And I think he was probably part of the group, or, or um, he was the person, I think, that carried the cross of Jesus and was part of the leadership there at the church of Antioch. He's from Cyrene, we know that. That's a little island off the coast of Africa, uh, which then probably explains how he picked up his nickname, right? The black man. Think about this. This is cool. 1,800 years after that, we're in the Civil War. 1,900 years after that, we're in the Civil Rights Movement. But in the first century, you had a person like Simeon the black man who was in leadership in a church that changed the world for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that, right? So you got this Jewish islander guy of the priestly tribe. You've got Simeon, the black man. Then you have Lucius. He's from Cyrene. Now again, we're not quite sure, but I think Lucius is a man that you know by the name of Luke, who also wrote a book of the Bible that we call the gospel according to Luke. In fact, we're a couple of weeks away from chapter 16 of Acts. When we get to chapter 16, Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, when we get to chapter 16, Luke stops talking as if somebody told him what happened in the book of Acts. He starts talking in the first person in chapter 16 like he was present when it was happening, because he was. He became a missionary traveling companion of Paul and Barnabas and those guys. So if this is Luke, now think about this. The Bible tells us he's also from the same island that Simeon, the black man, is from, Cyrene. And we also know about Luke that he's a doctor. All right, so think about this group of people who are leaders at the church of Antioch. A Jewish islander of the priestly tribe of Levi. Simeon, the black man, who may have also carried the cross of Jesus. 
another guy from that same island who also happened to be a doctor. And then we have Barnabas, uh, Simeon, Lucius, and then Manaen, the fourth person here. The Bible says he's the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas. Remember King Herod Antipas from last week? He's the guy that had James killed. He's the guy that had Peter arrested. And then God finally had enough of Herod Antipas, and he hit him with a bout of worms, and he died. You remember that? Well, the Bible says this Manaean guy, who's one of the key leaders at the church at Antioch, he was the best friend, childhood friend of Herod Antipas. In fact, the way it's structured in the original language, it seems to have the idea, and this is a little graphic, maybe, I suppose, is that he and Herod Antipas were breastfed together. I mean, they started life together, and they came up together. And one of them becomes a wicked king that hates God and hates the people of God. And the other one becomes a key leader at the church at Antioch. That's amazing. And then there's this last guy, Saul. Same Saul that was leading the persecution against God's people, against his church. Before that, he had been a devout Pharisee. So it sounds like a joke. Right? So there's this islander priest and a black guy and a doctor and the best friend of King Herod Antipas and a former murderer of Christians. And they're all in charge of a church. It's beautiful. And that's what God's doing. It sounds impossible. It sounds comical even. even, But this is the diversity and the leadership of the church at Antioch, and I believe a church that changes the world for Jesus has all kinds of different people in that church. Secondly, these different kinds of people have different kinds of gifts. Verse 13 says, among the prophets and teachers. So there's two gifts that are there, and we know there's probably many more gifts that are represented in that congregation. And among those people that had those spiritual gifts, they had different aptitudes, right? And they had different experiences, and they had different personalities and God was working in each of them in very unique ways to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish in and through them. I see that at Grace Life all the time. All kinds of different people here with all kinds of different gifts and I'm so thankful for that and it's beautiful just to watch how God weaves all of those different gifts with all the different attitudes and aptitudes and experiences and backgrounds and personalities and how he meshes all of that together is stunning. So the kind of church that changes the world for Jesus Christ is a church with different kinds of people, with different kinds of gifts who are fully, number three, fully devoted to serving the Lord. I like the graphic up there, by the way. You know, I never look at the screen. That's why I turned around. Because I wanted to see, what's that look like up there today? It's kind of cool. Kind of got that ESPN vibe going on <laughs> up there. Anybody stay up and watch that, ES, that Tennessee game last night, by the way? A few of you. I know who did. They're the people that aren't responding because they're asleep. <laughs> I stayed up and watched too. Pretty crazy. All right, so the kind of church that changed the world for Jesus Christ, different kinds of people, different kinds of gifts. Number three, who are fully devoted to serving the Lord. Fully devoted serving the Lord. Here's what verse 2 says. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord. Worshiping is not the best translation of that word. I'm using the NLT here, but they could have had a better word here. Uh, the better word would be serving or ministering. They were serving the Lord. They were ministering to the Lord. It's in the present tense, by the way, which means these five men were constantly serving the Lord, ministering 
to the Lord. Listen, there's something special going on in a church that's got different people with different gifts, and they're all devoted to consistently ministering to the Lord, serving the Lord. I asked our staff this past Monday, I said, when you hear the word committed, committed, does anybody at Grace Life come to your mind? And we could have sat there in staff meeting all day as they just continued to tell story after story, testimony after testimony of men and women at Grace Life that we see commitment to the Lord in, to serving the Lord, to ministering to the Lord. Let me tell you what, man, you have no idea the jet fuel that your commitment to Jesus is to our hearts and to our life. It's, it's food. Amen, Rick? Rick's over there. Say amen, Rick. Rick would have hung it up a long time ago had it not been for some of y'all and your commitment to the Lord. Amen, Pastor Will. Amen. Amen, Amen, Pastor Joel. Amen, Pastor Mike. We're blessed, man. And that's the kind of church that God uses to change the world. Different kinds of people with different kinds of gifts, fully devoted to serving the Lord. And number four, and to seeking His face. Because it's not just about doing but it's about drawing close to the Lord as well. Verse 2 says, One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting. They were fasting. That means they're abstaining from eating food. Why? In order to humble themselves to better seek after the face of God. They're fasting. That means they're aggressively going after the presence of God. That's what that means aggressively going after God's presence. They were communicating to the Lord through fasting that we are more hungry for your presence than we are for the next meal or the one after that or the one after that. So the kind of church that God uses to change the world is a church with different kinds of people and different kind of gifts, fully devoted to serving the Lord, to seeking His face, and number five, and to selflessly sending, selflessly sending the best people and resources to win the world to Jesus. Selflessly sending the best. Watch this. At the end of verse 2, it says, The Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I've called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them, and they sent them on their way. God's guiding these men, these five men, that the church is to send Barnabas and Saul out to do what God has called them to do. Now think about that. I don't think there's any question that probably the two strongest leaders in that church were Barnabas and Saul. And they sent them out. You know, I think human nature would have been, no, this is our church, and so we, we need to keep Barnabas and Saul, right? We can dispose of Mark and Luke, but we want to keep the best here for us. And man, it's so easy to become selfish as the people of God, right? I, I mean, would your small group be willing to send the strongest leaders out of your small group to start a new small group? Is your life group willing today if God says, hey, I want you to give the strongest people in your Sunday school class your life group and send them out to start a new one? You ready to do that? Or Grace Life, if God says, take the strongest leaders here and send them to Timbuktu to start a new church over there, we ready to do that? right? This is what they did. This is the kind of church that changes the world for Christ, is they selflessly are willing to give the best that they have to God's purposes, to what He's called them to do. 
Now, we, we've got some opportunities here at Grace Life coming up to release people and resources into the kingdom of God. And I just want to take a minute and tell you that I want to, I want to encourage you that in the, in the days we have left in the year 2021, let's, let's give like we've never given before. Let's step up at these opportunities like we've never stepped into these opportunities before. Let me just walk you through a few of these, all right? And these are just baseline things right here, all right? None, none of these are grandiose, all right? This is just baseline serving the Lord. But, but I want to say let's take the baseline, non-grandiose, but they're big, important, right? But let's take that and let's just let's go bonkers with it with the time we have left this year, all right? Let's go to a place in being a selfless church maybe that we've never been to before. One of these opportunities is called Angel Tree. We've had the privilege of partnering with DHR here in Jefferson County for many years and helping provide Christmas for children who are in the foster care system. If you don't know, foster care is a big deal to us at Grace Life. I just met a new little foster baby as I, just as I walked in the door today literally am I pre am I telling the truth back there yeah foster mom dad sitting back there in the corner they just glowing back there because God has uh, at least temporarily now entrusted them to this precious little girl that's back there and that's a big part of who we are at Grace Life we want to love those children and those families well and so Angel Tree is one of the ways that we get to do that so here do this right now Pull out your phone if that's how you keep your calendar and put a little dot on November 7th. That's when the angel tree will be present here and you'll be able for you and your family to pick some angels that y'all are going to help provide Christmas for. I'm giving you fair warning, all right, so you can plan, all right? And we got, we got supply issues. We got ships stuck out in the ocean somewhere. So you got to go to work on this now, right? We can't wait till like the week of and think we're going to find a box of paper clips because that might not happen. So November 7th, you can get a family, uh, a child, but you already probably need to go ahead and start getting some things prepared. All right. So, well, I don't know if it's going to be a boy or girl. It don't matter. Just get stuff and it'll work out. Okay. It'll just work out. I promise you God has a way of doing that. Second opportunity coming up is Operation Christmas Child. We work with Samaritan's Purse every single year. We fill up these shoe boxes with gifts and necessities. Most importantly, the boxes are filled up with a gospel witness. Boys and girls all over the planet come to know Jesus every year through this mission work. And local churches there have a discipleship process that they bring those children and their families through every single year. Grace Life, I think last year in the midst of a huge spike in our pandemic. Y'all put together about 750 boxes. Praise the Lord right now. Pandemic's cooling off. Let's pray that it continues to cool off. Let's pray that it just goes away completely. Amen. But let's, let's do more than 750 shoe boxes this year. Can I just make an executive decision and say, our goal's 1,000. Can we do that? Can we just shoot for that, Grace Life? Let's just aim for 1,000. That means if you did one last year, you ought to do two this year. If you didn't do any last year, you need to at least do one this coming year, okay? So on October 31st, we'll have boxes available for you to pick up. And that's a couple weeks away. Why am I telling you? Because you need now to start getting some things. 
right? Start running to the Dollar Tree or Dollar General or whatever you got to do, but start thinking through all of that right now. And then we're going to ask that you turn those in by November the 14th. So you got some time, but don't wait. Let's start now. I want to find out tomorrow that you guys just blitzed all of our businesses, all right? Let's, let's just bless the economy right now mission, with missions, all right? This is fantastic. So let's do that. Bring your boxes by November 14th. We're going to pray over those. And then you're going to have an opportunity also at Ludson Farms. We've got a great team that serves over there every year because we're a drop-off site. And so we, we're able to receive thousands and thousands of shoeboxes over there. And so if you want to help out with that, let us know. That team would love to have you come and be a part of that, especially on the last day. That's where the grunt work happens, and we need strong backs, okay? Weak minds, strong backs. That's where you get to come in and serve the Lord. And that's where we're going to load up the big truck and then they're going to go from there to the processing center. One of the processing centers is in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Pastor Rick and Pastor Will are going to be leading a team to Charlotte, North Carolina, November the 29th through December 3rd. How many of you have gone on that trip before? All right, fantastic trip. If you want to go, then, then talk to Pastor Rick and Pastor Will. Get that information. That's coming up. Great opportunity. All right. Third way, we get to impact the world. We, we're doing stuff locally and globally through that. Let's go locally again through the Grace Place. Uh, all month long of the month of November, is we're going to be doing a toy drive for the Grace Place because there are also children who are not in foster care but who are in some situations where their families need some help in the holiday season. And so Grace Place is doing, doing such an incredible job meeting those needs in our community. And so we want you to bring a toy or toys here. Drop them off. Now, maybe you're going, should I do one of these opportunities or all of them? You do what the Lord puts on your heart to do, Okay. I think for most of us, it's not anything to do all of these things, all right? But, but you allow the Lord to lead you, and he'll, he'll bless that, and he'll multiply that. And the last thing I would say about all of this is I want to challenge you to not forget your missions giving, world impact offering. That's, that's how you designate that gift. You can do it here when you're present. You can do that online, but through the world impact offering. We have missionaries serving all over the world. And we want to continue to be faithful to make sure that the work in, in those places at home and abroad, that that continues. And you may not be aware of this. Um, it's changed a little bit in the last 20 months because of everything that's been going on. But prior to that, Will, I don't think I'm speaking out of school when I say that for the last number of years, our total mission expenditures, everything that's come out of Grace Life for missions has been upward of around $300,000 the last number of years. Amen. I'm right on that, right? Think about that, y'all. That's incredible. Praise the Lord for that. We don't want to back away from that, right? We, we, don't, we don't want to say, well, we got to move into this building, so that's priority. It's all priority, right? A soul is a soul. An opportunity is an opportunity. A need is a need. Doesn't matter where they live. Doesn't matter what they look like. Doesn't matter if they can scratch our back too. Doesn't matter, Right? So I would encourage you for the remainder of this year, man, really dig in deep there on the World Impact Offering. All right? Let's, let's, um, let's give till it, you say give till it hurts. Let's give till it just feels better than anything we've ever felt in our life. All right? As we come down these final months. Um, you know, I think God may be calling some of y'all to serve. God may be calling some of y'all to go into ministry. God may be calling some of y'all to go to the mission field somewhere. One of my childhood best friends, he and his family just uprooted and went to another country to go serve the Lord, you know, at, at 47 years old. 
you know, in the middle of life, is to go do that. Maybe God's calling you to do that to another country or to another state or even to another church, right? Maybe there's another fellowship that you need to be helping. And it could be like the church at Antioch, God's speaking to the leaders at Grace Life, and he's putting some of y'all on our radar to say, go put your hands on these people and tell them to go. I'm calling them. That's kind of the biblical way it works. It wasn't that they put a sign-up list out and said, hey, who wants to go do world missions? The Holy Spirit said to the leadership, put your hands on these people and tell them I've, I've signed them up. And so that might be what happens as we come to some of you and say, hey, um, we believe God has signed you up for this. Do you, do you believe that? Right? So I would encourage you in these days to really lean in and listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say. Um, and today we just want to say, Jesus, you're our king. You're the king of my life. You're the king of my heart. You're the king of the time that you've given me. You're the king of the financial resources you've given to me. It's all yours. I, I just want to be used of you to invest it all really wisely. But God, you deserve it because you are the king of my life and the king of my heart. And while you're thinking about what that means for you, I want you to think about what that means for some brothers and sisters in Christ from right here in the United States, from the great state of Ohio. Seventeen of them recently went to Haiti to love people in Haiti, to share the gospel with people in Haiti. These are men and women and little boys and little girls from Ohio who yesterday were kidnapped by a gang in Haiti. And today we're not sure where they are or how they are. I was sharing that news with Pastor Will in the hallway this morning before church started. I said, well, that hits close to home, right? Because we've had teams in Haiti from Grace Life. That could easily be 17 of our men and women and our boys and girls. And y'all, that's every day all over the world. That we have brothers and sisters in Christ that find themselves in harm's way because they, they're following Jesus, right? And when I think about what God's put in front of me to do, I don't even feel worthy. That I mean, it's nothing to go to Dollar Tree. That's what I got to do, right? To pack a box, to drop off a toy, to, to load a truck for an hour one day, right? So, Holy Spirit, just as you spoke to the church at Antioch that day, would you speak to this church today? Speak to our hearts, God, and show us what it is that you're calling us into. Men and women and boys and girls across this room. Maybe there's some here today that need to leave this church and go to a faraway place and serve you. Or maybe even right down the road. The church at Antioch doesn't exist anymore. They eventually just gave themselves away. And that has continued to ripple forward for 2,000 years. God, let us not slip into the mentality of we've got to preserve this church. Make our hearts willing 
to pray our way and serve our way and give our way into extinction if that's what you're calling us to. For your purposes, for your glory. We've got some tremendous opportunities in front of us, God, to touch lives. When we think about what other brothers and sisters in the world, in Haiti, for example, right now are going through, packing that shoebox seems small, but I don't believe it is. Dropping off a toy may seem mundane, but I don't think it is. Because the supply chain of the saving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not delayed. You are pouring out your spirit and you are bringing salvation to the nations. And whatever way we get to be a part of that, Lord, we thank you and we want to be faithful to that. Because you are our king. King over our lives and king over our hearts. And we're your servants, and we want to say, here we are, Lord, at your service. I want to invite you to stand, and let's worship the King. And yield our hearts fully to Him today. Say, Lord, we want you to do great things through us in the time with the resources we have for your glory, for your kingdom.